Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient to the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I am Ann Mank, Certified Financial Planner and CPA with the Ellen Becker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building, and also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winkies. And for our Florida listeners, we also have an office in the Bonita Springs area. If you're interested in learning more about our offices, including a virtual tour of each location, please visit our website at ellenbecker.com. On our website, you can also put a face with a name because we have bios and videos for all our advisors. We also have a listing of all our current events, plus links to past radio shows. And on today's show, we are going to take a look at the market mid-year. And with me right now, I have Mike Roth, Managing Partner of Stark Investments. He is a veteran on this show. (laughs) He's been here many times, um, but also always gives really good advice on what's happening in the market and what he sees. So it's great to have him on the show today. So Mike, thank you for coming. Welcome. It's a pleasure. Always a pleasure to be on the show. (laughs) Well, we've seen quite, um, quite a start to the year. Um, after a bit of a downturn at the end of, of last year. So just maybe start high level. What have we been seeing in the first six months of the year in the market? Um, I know my clients are always saying we've been seeing a lot of volatility. But, you know, really from more of a perspective of somebody who's seen the industry for many years, what's really happening and going on? Sure, sure. Well, your clients are right. Uh, we have seen a tremendous amount of volatility, although you have to expand the scope of your analysis a little mm-hmm. bit to see it, right? If you just were looking at the first half of the year, um, you'd think this is got to be the greatest economy, right. the greatest market <laughs> of all time. And in fact, um, as we sit here today, uh, the S&P is hitting all-time highs, mm-hmm. all-time highs. Uh, we've just had the best first half of the year uh, since uh, 1955. Wow. Market S&P is up 17% in the first mm-hmm. half of the year. Um, so, you know, that's something, right? right? <laughs> we've had the best June we've had, uh, since, uh, 1997. Uh, so, I mean, you, you've, you've had these, mm-hmm. these things going on. And so if you look in a certain slice and of course, w- when you're doing these analyses, you have to know what time frame mm-hmm. you're talking about. But if, if you said, Mike, talk about the first half of the year, yeah. we'd be saying, wow, this is fantastic. And it's, right. and it's been unbelievable. And even if you look in the first six months, hasn't exactly been a smooth line, mm-hmm. as you know. So um, um, we had a great first quarter. Mm-hmm. Up, S&P's up about 13%. Um, and then you had um, uh, a great uh, April. And then you had a somewhat rocky May. Yep. Uh, so what was going on in May? Well, um, there was concerns about um, trade, mm-hmm. uh, concerns about what was going on with China, but mostly trade. And, and you can't talk about trade without talking about China because right. that's been the focus. But although uh, the trade issues are, are larger than just China, but mm-hmm. it was very China-focused. And I think people were very confident in April that um, we were going to see some resolution of the trade manner and it was going to be positive and that the global economy mm. would be off to the races again. Mm-hmm. And when that 
um, fell apart mm-hmm. because obviously the, the negotiations between the administration, our administration, and the Chinese fell apart. Um, that sent a shockwave through the market. So May was was down, but then we came roaring back mm-hmm. in June. So if you just looked at all of that, you'd say, ah, it's a little volatile, but um, wow, it's been it's been gangbusters. And then, of course, if you go back into the latter part <laughs> of last year, you'd say, well, wait a second. Right. Yeah, uh, the fourth quarter, the market was down 14%. Mm-hmm. S- S&P was down 14%. So if you just looked at the fourth quarter and the first quarter, it's a, almost a wash, wash right? right? It just went nowhere. And in fact, if you go back to January of 2018, I'm not going to make this too stat heavy, okay. but, <laughs> but since we're talking about yep. the markets and the volatility, if you go back to the start of um, two, 2018 uh, to almost where we are now, S&P's up one, two percent. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, if you just went away and said, I'm just not, ignore the market for the yep. next 18, 17, 18 months, you'd say, eh. The market really hasn't gone much of anywhere. So <clears throat> it's been volatile, mm-hmm. and it's been volatile for several reasons. So looking at the at the market, U.S. market, um, fantastic first half, mm-hmm. rocky 2018, particularly the fourth quarter. And I think if you looked globally, you'd see a similar pattern. Obviously, certain countries have domestic issues. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, I think the equity markets in Europe, the equity markets in Asia – uh, have paralleled a lot of that same experience. It's been a good experience overall this year. Okay, uh, They've been up. Uh, so if you've been exposed to equities mm-hmm. in the U.S. or um, in uh, Europe or Asia, you've probably done well. China has had a more rocky experience because China itself is going through s- some, some issues. Uh, but generally a positive equity experience. So equities have been in that world. That's the equity world, very, very positive world. Uh, if you look at the debt markets, yeah, different world, right? Uh, right. <laughs> so, so um, for those of you who invest in treasuries, uh, it's been and, you, and you're sitting there now. You're saying, um, "Wow, yields have just been getting crushed." And mm-hmm. we're talking about yields. We're saying that people have been buying bonds. So as as bond purchases have skyrocketed, mm-hmm. uh, yields, the return on those bonds have decreased. That that's that relationship. So currently. Uh, if you were to buy a 10-year bond right now, um, you're getting about 2%. And that's even off of the end of, uh, of May, that's mm-hmm. down 50 basis points. So if, if you had bought something at the end of May, it would have been 2.5, 10-year. Oh, wow. Now it's down to 2. So that just shows you how yep. dramatic. And bonds don't don't move that, right. that way Right. That's normally. kind of what I was thinking is that that much of a swing in the bond market is significant. Exactly. Because they shouldn't, you know, that's, that's the conservative side of a portfolio. That's the non-volatile. So to have that much of a difference, especially in an area that you're not expecting, Exactly. You have to have that difference. Exactly. So uh, it's, it's, quote, dramatic. Right. <laughs> dramatic change. And, and so um, uh, you have a situation right now where, um, as they say, this is, I'll, I'll give you a little jargon stuff. Uh, the yield cur- curve is inverted. The U.S. Treasury curve is inverted. And what that means is, is that you are getting paid less to take long, a long-term mm-hmm. type of, of debt. So a 10-year Treasury is giving you 2%. If you look at where Fed funds are right now, so that's the, sh- the very short-term rates, they're two and a quarter, two and a half. Mm-hmm. So it's not usually the case that you are no. paid less to take <laughs> more time than 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 not. Right. So so what does that mean? Um, that's unusual. It's not the way the world usually works, and the bond market is really sending a um, a danger signal. 
So we'll come back to what yep. that means. But but for yields, to, for people to be out there scrambling to buy bonds and for yields to be so low and, and declining and for the yield curve to be in, inverted, that's usually signaling that people are very pessimistic about where the economy is going and they think growth in the, in the economy is going to be slowing. Um, so there's that. So yeah. you have two different worlds, the uh, gangbuster equity market, which – You'd say all-time highs, that must mean the economy is booming, versus the bond market, which is telling you the economy is in danger, flashing red. Yeah. Um, so w- what, what is going on there? Um, <laughs> and why, why do you have that dislocation? And if you look uh, globally, before we, we, we quit talking about bonds, um, you have to acknowledge that, yes, we've had this tremendous run now. In fact, I think today might be the day. This is the 10th anniversary of the expansion. This is the longest expansion in history. Oh, by the way. Right. By that, I mean no recessions. Yes. No, right? So um, I think going back to the 1850s, which predates me, just to be clear. <laughs> but going back to the 1850s, and, you know, it's, it's hard to compare earlier periods. The U.S. Yeah. economy, obviously, is not the agrarian economy mm-hmm. of, of, of yesteryear. And, and all the, in fact, the economy isn't even what it was 10 years ago. Right. But the reality is, is that, is that we have had an, a business cycle that is the longest expansionary business cycle in history. Yep. And it's been a smooth one for the most part. I mean, there really hasn't been a lot of volatility. So like when I'm working with my clients, um, one, this makes them extremely nervous to have this long of a run because it's always like, when when's the next shoe going to fall? Um, but it's been a comfortable ride up. And so when we see something like we saw in December – or at the end of last quarter, and then also at the beginning of this year, it makes clients very, very nervous. And it's hard to remember, this is what the market should be doing. We need the ups and downs in order to have the growth that we need. Um, but a quick question on the bond, because this is just something that I think about. Um, so we've had really low interest rates for so long. So of course, we're going to have 10-year bonds out there at a really low interest rate. Doesn't it make sense, though, just from a theoretical, that we're going to have some short-term bonds with higher interest rates because we want those interest rates to come up a little bit? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, does that make sense that we just can't find income because interest rates have been so low? So in essence, I want those bonds to kind of creep up a little bit if I'm trying to help people generate some income. So I would expect to see that inverted curve at some point. Because you have people who bought a bond, you know, five years ago, and it's a 15-year bond, and it's only going to pay you 2%. But I want those interest rates to keep coming up, and people don't know what's going to happen, so they're going to get a three-year now at 3% and not go after those. And so from an income perspective, I want some more short-term, higher interest. And I don't, maybe I'm just so into the equity market and I'm so income-focused that for me, yeah, I see that coming. But I don't know if I necessarily see that as as much of a red flag, sure, as someone else might see. But um, that's de- definitely something we can talk about at the next after the next break. Um, so with that, um, we'll take a short, quick break here, and we'll come back with Mike Roth when we return. And we are talking about kind of looking mid-year at what's been happening in the market, um, 
can we maybe expect going forward? But just to kind of say, you know, we're six months in. How has it gone? What are things we should be thinking about? And one of the things we were talking about before our last break was just the bond market and the fact that it is just impossible to find income. And so when I'm helping my clients, a lot of them are in retirement. And so they use those bonds or those interest-bearing products in order to supplement their income, and it just hasn't hasn't been there. Well, and that's a great segue to getting into what's really been causing this dislocation we're seeing between the bond market and the equity market. So it's clear that there is this dislocation, and, and one is um, incredibly optimistic, and one is increasingly <laughs> pessimistic. Uh, and as I mentioned, you have this inversion of the mm-hmm. yield curve. So the, the natural order of things is that uh, if you're going to loan money, which is what you do when you buy a bond, for a longer period of time, you need to get paid more mm-hmm. than if you're just loaning it for a short period of time. That's you, yeah. That's just the way it works, right? <laughs> so when that, when it's the opposite, when it flips over, it tells you that something else is going on. And what's been going on is, we mentioned we've had this incredible expansion mm-hmm. for the last 10 years. Um, and it hasn't really been, though, an economic growth story. It's been an asset inflation story. Mm. So what happened? You go back 10 years, 2009. Uh, things were pretty rough. Mm-hmm. And um, there were we all are aware of the issues that were going on around the Great Recession <clears throat> of that time. And and the central banks came in and flooded the system with liquidity. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean? Essentially, they came in and cut interest rates to make money cheap and flooded the system with money in order to keep the system from sort of shocking it out of a negative spiral mm-hmm. it was in. Uh, and the reality is is that that dose of medicine never really was dialed back in any significant way. Mm. So the patient was in trouble. Yep. The doctor came in, you know, zapped it with the defibrillator, <laughs> and really has been zapping it continuously for the last <laughs> 10 years. Enough, enough. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's just it. So it, when you look at the, the, the growth we've had mm-hmm. um, and you look at all that liquidity, first of all, the liquidity, the flooding of the system with money never stopped. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the Fed did raise interest rates a bit. Yep. But it was the only central bank in the world that really did any meaningful change. And even what the Fed did was not all that meaningful. Mm-hmm. Look at it. Rates didn't go up to anywhere we would think would be historical normal rates. Right. And, and we're going to flip that over and we're going to say, say the people know that the best are the people who are fixed income investors. Yep. So, so with Fed funds at two and a quarter, two and a half percent, that's still incredibly low from mm-hmm. a historical perspective. Um, and, but now we see the Fed talking about potentially cutting rates again, right. and we're going to come to that because okay. that's, that's that's really the, the driver of the <laughs> yep. entire story we're yep. seeing. But to set to set the backdrop for it, you have a situation where debt is now, as we sit here today, and over the last ten years, it's grown to the point where this is the most debt we've seen in the history of the world, and we see it in all kinds of manifestations. We know student loan debt's off yeah. the chart. We know credit card debt mm-hmm. is off the chart. We know federal budget, our federal right. debt is off the chart. And you look at countries around the world, everybody kept growing their debt yep. because when you have cheap central bank money, so it's not just the Fed story. It's the, it's the European Central Bank, the ECB. It's, mm-hmm. the J, it's the Japanese Central Bank. It's all the central banks essentially did the same thing. They were all following the same playbook. Let's make money cheap Let's flood the system with mm-hmm. money, and let's, let's try to revive the system that way. The problem is that 
all that liquidity didn't really drive the it didn't really go into the economy. Okay. It 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 went more so into assets. So uh, cheap money yep. f- caused stocks to go to the moon. So all this yep. movement we've seen in stocks over the last 10 years was fueled by cheap money. Mm-hmm. Um, even today, if you look at Europe in particular, so mm-hmm. it's if you want to see the most shocking picture, the idea of negative interest rates, right? That sounds like a science fiction uh, concept. Oxymoron. Negative interest rates mean... And it is an oxymoron in the sense that it shocks the imagination to think that you are paying people for, to to take your money. Mm-hmm. So normally you're saying, like, you want you want me to lend you some money? Yeah. No, you're going to have to pay me something. No, no, I'm going to lend you some money, and I'm going to pay you to do it. Right. Right? Please take my money. That's what, that's what <laughs> negative interest rates are. And if you look at Europe, half the government bonds are in that state of the world now. Five trillion dollars of European government bonds are negative yielding. Wow. They, you, the, so savers, <laughs> savers in Europe literally are paying the, their governments to, to take their money. Wow. And, and so the, the situation is one where, again, extreme liquidity, extreme amount of money out there mm-hmm. in the system, um, and it, it didn't really fuel sort of organic economic growth as much as it fueled asset inflation. Okay. And, and that inflation, so can you think of an asset class that hasn't no. gone up? Real estate, precious metal, I mean, you name it, yep. and you've seen um, asset appreciation over the last 10 years. Yep. And now, and, and, and this is where you sort of get to the heart of the story. Yeah. So, so you have um, right now um, equities at all-time highs. So the bond market, though, sees this debt, and it sees what's going on with mm-hmm. interest rates, and it's very, very nervous about mm-hmm. what's going on. And then you have um, uh, the global economy actually is, is slowing down. So let's talk about the real economy now. So we've okay. talked about bonds. We've talked yep. about um, equities. When you look at the real economy, yeah. it's been a very mixed picture. Yep. On the one hand, you can look back and say, well, GDP in the United States uh, last quarter was 3.1%. You get anything over 3%, that's pretty good. So um, um, check that box. Yeah, (laughs) U.S. economies may not be roaring, but it seems to be okay. Uh, You look at the unemployment picture. Wow, that is – Right. That's a game winner, right? Yep. Wow. Unemployment is uh, at um, the lowest levels we've seen in a long, long time. Yep. And all we hear about is employers having trouble hiring. Well, and that's all I hear with our business owners. I can't find people. I can't find good quality people. Yep. Exactly. So so we know that the U.S. economy um, from the unemployment side uh, is doing great. Um, we're starting to see some uptick in wages, um, not as strong as mm-hmm. we would like, but we're starting to see that. So, so you say if, if if you want to look at the glass half full, you, you look at that. At the same time, if you look at sort of where um, the economic numbers are coming in right now, we're just focusing on the U.S. We'll yeah. come back to the rest of the world. <laughs> um, just look at um, the United States. Um, we're starting to see um, what's called soft economic data is coming in very weak. Mm. And there there are several sur- surveys that mm-hmm. they do. PMIs, they're called, um, which essentially try to get a handle on uh, current economic activity by going out and doing surveys of of, man, of manufacturers and purchasing managers. That's where PMI comes from. Uh, and they've been coming in weak. In fact, some of the numbers we've seen um, just in the last week or so are the weakest we've seen since 2009. 
I mean, wow. weak, right? So you're saying, yeah. like, wow, we've had this great expansion, and now we're seeing 09 Great Recession-type numbers? Yep. Yes, we are. Okay. So um, uh, that has created some concern. Mm-hmm. Is the economy starting to roll over? Getting mixed signals, the unemployment's great, but these numbers are sort of weak. And then you look at the global economy, and the global economy is really slowing down fast. So the PMI numbers, the, the soft economic numbers we're seeing in the U.S., we've been seeing those kind of numbers now for months out of Europe and Asia. China is, is, had a number last night that was very ugly, basically in contraction. So not just, hey, we're not growing as fast yep. as we were. We're actually contracting now in several of these economies. Which is that, that's the story I've always heard for China. Yeah, yeah, they're still growing, no big worries. They just aren't growing as much. But now we're actually seeing them take yes. that step back. Yeah, okay. exactly. And, and um, uh, in a minute, we'll sort of get into that because there's two more sort of likes this. And we're saving the big one for the end, which is talking <laughs> about the Federal Reserve. But um, obviously, a, a, a big issue right now is the trade issues, mm-hmm. China being the headline trade issue. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about what just happened over the weekend and, and uh, the potential implications for the markets and the economy. Um, but there's trade issues with Europe, too. So uh, so the global economy, which yep. is already not doing great, is also suffering now from potential issues related to a um, more protectionist, higher tariff, less global trade type environment, which generally causes uh, economies to slow down. Ah. <laughs> well, with that, we'll slow down a little bit and take a quick little break. But um, we'll definitely hit more of that and some further explanation on what's going on overseas and the Fed market. Um, And then just kind of wrap it up on, you know, what do we see in the next six months? What can people do? What are some of the, you know, the areas that we do see some potential to? So with that, we'll be right back. I am your host, Ann Mank, Certified Financial Planner and CPA with the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I have with me today Mike Roth, who is the Managing Partner of Stark Investments. And as always, if you've missed any part of this or also want to look at some of our other past radio shows, you can check out our website to find those and our podcasts as well. So, Mike, I want to kind of pick up where we left off. Um, we were talking about all these wonderful things that are happening in the market and overseas. So um, I know I kind of cut you off midstream, so I'll just let you continue where you were. Well, sure. Um, so th- the next chapter of the story has to do with what's going on with global trade. So we talked about the economy and how the economy is is uh, sort of giving us a mixed picture. Mm-hmm. But in a, in a more global view, clearly uh, the global economy is slowing down. And when you layer on the trade issues, it, it, it's a big concern. And I think right now people are trying to look forward and they say, yeah, first quarter was fine. Uh, unemployment looks great. But we're looking forward. And what we see looking forward has got us very nervous. Um, corporate earnings um, estimates are getting cut. Mm. Uh, we've had, we had the second most sort of um, corporate earning warnings in history. Um, just recently. So you go on these on these corporate earning calls, mm-hmm. and they either give positive guidance or yep. negative guidance. And we've had more negative guidance 
than we've had except for one other time in history. So mm. companies are, are nervous. Yeah. And, and so one big factor, and, and there could be several factors, but I think one big factor that's clearly obvious because it's in the headlines every day right. is what's going on with trade, particularly yep. trade with China. So let's, let's just talk about that a little bit. So there, there is a um, um, policy issue here that the administration is tackling. And that is how do we uh, get a better trade relationship with our trading partners? And the view is that uh, – and, and there are different views here, mm-hmm. but I, I would say certainly the view of most people and most economists is that uh, the trade relationship with several of these countries has been not particularly favorable to the United States. In particular, the trading relationship with China. Yep. And the issues we've had with China and, – and, and I'm going to say these things and I believe them, but – there are people who would debate it, um, is that the Chinese game has been to essentially um, take advantage of U.S. companies to try to extract uh, their intellectual property from them in return for access to their their gigantic market. Mm -hmm. That's been the game. Okay. And um, it would be very painful to try to unravel that because – well, you go through what we're going through right, right. now. <laughs> right? So I would say that um, this administration has said we're going to do something about it. Yep. And, and so uh, you have a situation where um, they've used the tariff weapon to say we are no longer going to sit by and have a situation where we're going to let you extract intellectual property from our companies and or um, uh, not allow our companies to – compete on equal terms in China or force them to partner up with Chinese partners all mm-hmm. the time. All the things that um, um, have been essentially very one-sided for the Chinese, this administration is looking to change. And so uh, there has been a um, several rounds of uh, trade talks. So we've, we imposed the tariffs. So mm-hmm. China, in addition to all this, its issues, and China's got a lot of issues, um, because the Chinese uh, story has been one of just like we just discussed, mm-hmm. um, layering on debt, tremendous, tremendous amounts yes. of debt. So they have debt issues, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of debt issues yeah. in China, um, which they might be able to manage. But now they're trying to manage it into a situation where their economy is starting to, to really suffer from the trade issues, um, among other things. But certainly it's they are suffering more than we're suffering. Let, let me put it that way. Which was the thought behind that yeah. right yes that, exactly that was the whole yeah let's put some leverage on there because it's going to hurt them more than us yes exactly so president trump and his art of the deal uh he is applying the pressure mm-hmm. um and you see you can see where the negotiations are, are are have been difficult because you have to understand the chinese are being asked to change what has been their essential economic development policy for the last i don't know 20 30 years okay it's not in their nature to say well um first of all we're wrong, you're right, number one. <laughs> and it's also not in their nature to uh, recognize um, that uh, they've been essentially taking intellectual property. Uh, and it's also uh, uh, would require a reversal of their policy to say, okay, we're not going to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And we're going to agree to an enforcement mechanism of some sort. Because that's, you know, the administration is saying, look, if we're down this road now, yeah. you've taken this much pain. We're going to. Right. We're gonna, we want to yeah. have a policy that you're going to not just agree to, but there's going to be an enforcement mechanism so that, yeah, there's no misunderstanding a year and a half from now. Right. So there's lots of stuff going on. There's lots mm-hmm. of, of game playing going on. And, of course, the latest is that um, just over the weekend we had the G20 uh, meeting. And out of that came a trade truce. Yeah. 
<laughs> which is another way of saying that the parties agreed to get together. And I think um, um, President Trump threw on the table sort of a, you know, here's, here's a carrot for you. Um, we're going we're gonna to take some of the pressure off of Huawei, which is the mm-hmm. big Chinese telecom company that had been subject to um, uh, trade restrictions. Yep. And um, we're going to expect you guys to come back to the table. And, oh, by the way, if you believe our side, you're going you're gonna to live up to the stuff that you already said you're going to live up to. Because the, the story coming out was that uh, we thought we had a deal mm-hmm. in April, uh, and then uh, the Chinese walked it back in May. And all the stuff they thought had been agreed to suddenly wasn't agreed to. Mm-hmm. And the people in the administration who were responsible for doing the negotiating, their their heads popped off and said, well, you know, <laughs> huh, what? Uh, you know, uh, and I think that um, that's where, where you saw the threats starting to get ratcheted up. We're going to put more tariffs on you right. and, and more uh, bad stuff's going to happen to you. Um, so – where does this all go? So right yeah. now, the, even as we sit here, the market's having a huge rally because trade truce. Right. Right. Yeah. No details. Don't know what that means like, other than the fact I guess they're going to sit down and talk some more. But yeah. that's all the market needs right now. Oh, trade truce. <laughs> well, here we go. Bye. Yeah. Bye. I, was, Bye. I was watching that this morning. It's like, <laughs> right. oh, that stock's popping up. That stock's popping up. Right. <laughs> right. right. Um, and, of course, we'll probably find out in 24 or 48 hours that right. it, you know, they're still disagreeing about X, Y, or Z. and. But the market won't go down as much as it goes up because it never really works that way. Right. But the reality is is that um, it's very hard to see how this gets resolved because the um, issues just aren't easy to resolve. As I said, the Chinese mm-hmm. have to either say we're going to um, move away from the policies that have really helped us to, to catch up with what we think the developed world looks like. At the same time, we're saying, uh-uh, no more. We're done Letting yeah. you have your way on all of these things, and those, that just seems like rock hard place t- territory. It's hard to see where there's a middle ground there, and I think that's really. And we're going to see how that whole thinking now then flows back to the markets and everything else. Yeah. So, um, uh, personally, I don't see how this thing gets resolved. The Chinese, the, some speculate, the Chinese are playing this sort of uh, rope a dope. Game and they're hoping that they can wait until 2020 and there'll be a change. Well, that's kind of what's what in the back of my head is. Oh, that you know, if I was on the Chinese side, it's like, yeah, well, let me be, let me get a couple things accomplished here and hope for the presidential election coming yeah, up. Yeah, and even with the whole presidential election coming up, I mean, my clients are already saying, well, what's going to happen when it's election time? What other markets going to do? What are we going to do with everything that have, has been put in place? How is that going to be affected if we have a change in administration? Well, it's it's hard hard to say because, of course, you have to get into speculation as to are we talking about you know one wing of the Democratic Party right. versus another <laughs> wing of the Democratic Party could be very different. Um, uh, more socialist, less socialist, more progressive, less progressive, or it could be you know the, the President Trump prevails and as incumbents tend to do, mm-hmm. uh, and there's no change. And so, but if you're the Chinese, and people think the Chinese are always playing the long game, you say, well, they'll at least try to uh, essentially stall yep. and, t- and see how the 2020 works out. Um, although I think it's going to be hard for even a Democratic administration to sort of walk away from trying point, to right. make the Chinese more. Yep. I, and, so it's, it's hard. I don't think the market's really looking at that as much as they're just 
micro focus right now on the next 48 hours. I mean, literally, right. it's like trade truce, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> so, so f- as, as far as Chinese trade goes, it's it's a day to day thing. What's yeah. going on? What's the latest leak or the latest rumor or the latest sort of thing going on out of out of China? So that's just going to be a saga. Yeah. Um, but you know the the trade issues and the equalization of mm-hmm. trade fairness, um, et cetera, is definitely putting a break on the global economy. So that takes us to what really this is driving everything, and we're going to talk about the Fed. Yes, which I'm very excited to get to in this next one. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about the Fed and kind of wrap up our market talk to date. So with that, we'll take a short break. Welcome back to Money Sense. I am your host, Ann Mank, Certified Financial Planner and CPA with the Ellen Becker Investment Group. And with me today, I have Mike Roth, who is the Managing Partner of Stark Investments. And I could talk for hours on this. So it's been very enlightening and definitely what my clients are looking for at this point. But with the last segment, we were going to wrap it all up in a bow and talk about the Fed and what the Fed's been doing. Um, And, you know, it has changed 12 months. It's a whole different story. Um, but I'm sure you'll get to that. So so what are your thoughts and your comments on, on the Fed markets and the Fed Reserve? Sure. Well, everything we've talked about essentially has been uh, background and context for the, the real lead of the story, mm-hmm. which is the, the Federal Reserve. And that's why um, when you read headlines about what's going on with trade and everything else, yeah, that's driving the market to some degree, but what's really been driving the financial markets has been uh, the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. And the big change we've seen, and the things that has driven the recovery and the, um, uh, in the first quarter and the gigantic uh, first half and the stupendous June, mm-hmm. has been the Fed has flip-flopped a bit. And has gone from being worried about the economy overheating, which is traditionally what the Fed should be doing right now. When the economy is, is doing well and interest rates have been low, what the Fed typically wants to do is they want to make interest rates more normal. Mm-hmm. And they want to create a world, hopefully, where your clients can invest in fixed income and right. bonds and so forth, get a nice return on their money and sleep well right. and not have to go out and take risky equity investments to get a return. Uh, that's the world that we should be returning to. Um, but because of um, uh, some of the global issues we're seeing, the global slowdown, the trade issues, um, whether the Fed uh, is doing it for that reason or that's the excuse for what the Fed is doing, <laughs> so we're going to get into conspiracy theories, um, that seems to be what's happening. So the Fed, the, the big change has been over the last couple of months is that the Fed uh, went from being into a, um, uh interest rate um, tightening mm-hmm. cycle. So that's, that's what caused the uh, fourth quarter downturn. So if you, you say, well, what happened in the fourth quarter? The market was down 14%, mm-hmm. S&P. Um, well, what was going on was that the Fed was raising interest rates, and it looked like it was going to continue raising interest rates, mm-hmm. which, it, again, you would expect to normalize. Yep. Other central banks around the world weren't doing that, but the Fed was doing it. It felt like it had the headroom to do it because of how well the U.S. economy right. is doing. Um, and you also had um, trade issues. 
and you also had China slowing down. That was the fourth quarter. So if you said, what was going on in the fourth quarter, those three elements, mm-hmm. uh, higher interest rates, China slowing down, and trade issues. And then going into the uh, first part of the year, suddenly the Fed is getting like, oh, no. <laughs> mushy and starting to go, well, you know, maybe we should be thinking about getting more dovish here. And mm-hmm. maybe we should be, um, you know, we're, we're a little concerned about the trade issues and we're a little concerned about, you know, some of this unevenness in the, in the economy. And that just picked up as the, as the first part of the year went along. More dovishness, more sort of talk about maybe we need to do something. And the market of course, loves this right. because nothing gets the market going than cheap money. And so, wow, <laughs> not only do we not have to worry about interest rates going up, but interest rates are going to go back down again. Mm-hmm. And if, if you sort of step away from it, you're saying, what? I mean, right. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of more thoughtful people were going, what? How could the Fed be talking about lowering interest rates when the economy is not anywhere near a recession? All-time highs, yeah. Yeah, and, and well, you got the market all-time highs. you got the economy – Certainly okay, if yeah. not good. Um, and so how can we – why would we be talking about lowering interest rates? At, at worst, you think they'd say stay we're just going to stay the same. Yeah. But now, now – and, and the market, of course, takes off. And, mm-hmm. and the market has priced in not just one interest rate, not just two, but at least three. Uh, th- if you looked at the odds up until – and we're going to come back to how this all connects with the trade issues. Mm-hmm. Prior to this weekend's trade truce, yeah. they were talking about a 50% chance of a 50 basis point cut in interest rates. Wow. Oh. Not just 25, 50, which is, for you who don't follow the Fed, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right? That'd be a lot to do in, 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 in the face of nothing. Right. No recession, no. anywhere, anything like that. Unemployment uh, at all-time lows, all that stuff. But that's where the market the market is is yeah. is really running with this and yeah. trying to sort of make it seem like yeah that's exactly what should happen is right. this, is this huge cut. Um, so you're in a world now where bad news is good news mm-hmm. because boy bad news means more likely the Fed's going to cut rates and cutting rates is all we really care about. Bottom line, right? Trade. What? Who cares? Interest rates. Yeah. Interest rates are what we care about because that means stocks will go up mm-hmm. and. We don't care about savers. Forget, you know. Right, all those baby boomers that are yeah. heading into Sorry. retirement. You guys are going to take it in the shorts again because it's more important that we get the, the markets up. So, um, where we are today is certainly a more dovish Fed. It's not clear what the Fed's going to do with the trade truce because the trade truce—that's good news, and good news is bad <laughs> because is the Fed good? Because no, the Fed's been sort of leaning on, well, there's a trade problem out here. Right. We've got to do something about it as insurance, which is a weird concept for the Fed to be entertaining. <laughs> um, but um, you, you now have a situation where, uh, ironically, the good news from the weekend could be bad news. Right, because then, oh, we might yeah. keep interest rates the same. Yeah. Or <laughs> but the, the um, um, uh, market is so short-term focused. Right yeah. now, it's just popping the champagne over the fact you have a trade truce. Mm-hmm. The hangover will come when they go, uh, wait a second, does this mean the Fed might not <laughs> cut rates or might delay it past July? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> can, can we survive that? So um, sort, sort of just putting, putting a, a, a quick summary on it all, Fed and interest rates or interest rates more generally globally dr- have been driving everything, continue to drive everything. They drive the equity markets. Mm-hmm. They drive the bond markets. So one of the reasons why people are running out and buying uh, treasuries and forcing yields down 
is that they think there's interest rate cuts coming. Hmm. Interest rate cuts means, well, guess what? The um, Fed funds is going to be below 2% soon. Yep. So we want to own those 2% treasuries. Right. Right. <laughs> right. All of a sudden, those 2% treasuries look, they look great good. <laughs> because short-term rates are going down. So that inversion is going to get fixed mm-hmm. by the short terms going down. Not what you want. Right. 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 Not, not, not getting interest rates up. Higher, interest rates, right. The short-term rates are going to go down. That'll fix the inversion. Right. So, again, Fed uh, policy, interest rates, central bank policy is really driving everything. And you're now in a situation where um, – the European Central Bank has said, well, we might have to go back and do more stimulation. Even though we never really stopped stimulation, right. we might have to double the amperage on our defibrillator. Uh, the Fed is reversing, or apparently on the cusp of reversing its policy. Uh, other central banks are sort of falling in line behind all of that to the extent they, they haven't already just been pumping liquidity in. So that's where we are today. Great picture for equities, although you got to be nervous. And, and this is sort of where we're going to yeah. wrap it all up. What do you do? Right, exactly. It's like we've talked about everything that's happening. So it's you don't want to run to the equity market. There's nothing to run to in the bond market. And everything overseas is slowing down. Yes. So, so what do you do? So you, you have <laughs> at, you, nothing's cheap. Put it right. that way. So you want to buy stuff that's cheap. Um, you don't want to buy things that are expensive, hoping they'll get more expensive. Mm, right. In a sense, right? Right. So and, and you can't just park the money and just earn some sort of decent rate off of it because mm-hmm. interest rates, if anything, seem to be going down. Yeah. Or God help you if you're in Europe, you're paying the government to, right. to, to borrow money from right. you. Right. So I would say right now I don't have any good crystal ball advice because <laughs> as the saying goes – uh, predictions are hard, particularly about the future. Right? <laughs> right. Um, so I would say right now that there's no reason to believe the market's going to go down in no. any significant way, although there are a lot of smart people, particularly people who've had a lot of experience, like my generation, who would say, we're due. We are mm-hmm. due for a recession. We're due for a market correction. But we've been saying that for a while. Right. And if the if the banks keep doing what they're doing, and at some point the global trade thing gets fixed, it's hard to see the markets having some huge correction. Right. But I can certainly spin – if we had another hour, I'd spin you stories <laughs> that would make, make, me the other way. Like, make me seem like I've been optimistic for the last hour or so. Um, so I, I hate to come in and be the glass half-empty guy, uh, but at, all, at the same time, this is your money, and you have, to, uh, you have to at least be aware of the issues. And depending upon the things that you do in, in your business, yeah. right? Depending upon where you are in your life, your age, your financial situation, that may mean staying where you are, mm-hmm. staying with a good balanced portfolio. It may mean doing something different. But you owe it to yourself to at least be aware of all these yeah. issues. Don't try to time it. You'll never no. time it. But And really right now is the time to have that individual plan, because we're all kind of in the same boat. And what's really going to make the difference is, do you have a plan in place that suits you and your immediate needs and your, you know, your three- or five-year goals? It's, exactly. It's not what bucket should I be in. It's have I planned for the next three years and do I know where my money is coming from? So with that, thank you very much, Mike, for coming on the show. And don't forget, Money Sense airs Saturday from 2 to 3 o'clock and Sunday from noon to 1. As always, we hope that we have made a difference in your personal and financial well-being Thank you to all of our clients who are listening. I know you have a lot of choices, so we appreciate the opportunity to serve you. And at Ellen Becker, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Visit us at ellenbecker.com for more information and have a great rest of your day.